Testing one, two. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three, and we are a go. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. I'm Jer- I'm your host, Jerry. I've got my co-host, Jake, with me, along with me as well. Again, how are you doing today, sir? Not too bad. Not too bad. Just got home, got some mows for dinner. Now relax and joining this podcast with you again. I'm excited. Oh, yes. Yeah, so a wonderful podcast uh, recording we're going to have today. Got some interesting topics for this episode. Going to talk about the current state of the Sabres pretty much since the firing of former head coach Ralph Kruger, and just talk about the uh, Donnie Granado era, sort of say, uh, to say how they're performing under uh, interim head coach Don Granado. Also going to have some MLS talk, uh, just some soccer in America talk per, uh, in general. And then also just, you know, do a little quick uh, wraparound uh, with uh, some teams in Major League Baseball with some headlines there as well. But uh, before to start things off, I'll just have you lead off about you know, the current state of the Sabres uh, under uh, the uh, Donnie Granado era. Like you've mentioned that you have some points that you want to bring up. So I'll let you go right into it, sir. Yep. So before uh, Don Granado came and took over the Buffalo Sabres, the Sabres were 6, 18, and 4 on the season. And they had a 12-game loss streak going on as uh, Ralph Kruger was still the Sabres coach. And um, he was fired on May or March 27th – or 21st, sorry. And uh, after that, uh, Don Granado came in. And right now, he doesn't have the best of records. But I mean, he is five, five, eight, and or five, seven, and four right now. Five, eight, and four. Excuse me. Sorry. No, can't you're fine. I can't read my own writing. But um, <laughs> under him, this looks like a completely revamped team, and it seems like Granado has gotten these. He's got so much more out of these players, with I feel a lot less than Kruger had. Um, Kruger for most of the season had a Jack Eichel. Um, most of Granado's time here, um, well, I'll stick with Kruger right now. Kruger had all the players he needed, so he had Hall, he had Eichel. Everyone was healthy um, besides a couple of here and there. I mean, Allmark was out for a month, and uh, McCabe got hurt for the whole season, and so did uh, Gergensen. But other than that, he had basically had the whole team, and Granado comes in. Um, when he comes in, Eichel's clearly out for the season. Taylor Hall didn't play at all because he was close to the trade deadline. And we were looking on moving him, so we didn't get to play with Taylor Hall. Um, he has had a very young roster. Um, it's got a handful of rookies on it. Um, he has not, since coming in, he has not had a consistent goalie rotation going on. And despite having all of that, what I just mentioned, he has his team playing fast and exciting hockey. Um, I mean, he has got – eight points out of their last nine points out of their last uh, 17 games, which I'm not going to complain about that since we only had, um, we only had 16 points in this or 18 points in the season before that anyways, throughout the whole season. So I can't complain. Um, I like him right now coming in as the interim head coach. I don't want to go any more into the saying he should be the head coach of this team or not yet. Cause we'll have to see how the season pans out and everything. 
but he has this team playing exciting hockey. Um, I saw a quote from him. He was it was his one pressure he was doing. He said he said we're not he said if we don't win every game, he said we're at least gonna make it exciting and we're gonna play a fast style of hockey. So I don't know if that was a shot at Kruger or anything, but when I saw that, I was like, yes, I like this guy. He gets it. I mean, what else can you ask for? If your team is losing, at least if they're making it interesting, then you can never, ever complain. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you 100% right there on everything you say. I mean, for the most part, like going into the rest of the season, I'm not really expecting anything uh, I'm not really expecting anything really ex- like anything big to happen with the Sabres. I mean, obviously, like, you know, they're already out. Uh, they were already out of playoff contention when Kruger got fired. They officially got uh, eliminated from playoff contention as the first team, actually, one of the first teams actually to get eliminated, what, just last week after they had lost to the Penguins. Yeah, that's so- the loss of the Penguins. We were officially eliminated from playoff contention. But in everyone's mind, before that, we already knew we weren't making it. So it was just kind of now it was an official kind of thing. It didn't come to a surprise to anyone that the Buffalo Sabres were not going to be making this year's playoffs. Exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of like watching like the Jets, like in the NFL, uh, the NFL, like, you know, you know that they're out. You know that they're not making it to the playoffs after like week 10. But the mathematically eliminated from playoff contention thing doesn't happen until like week 13 or whatever. So but but it's kind of like that scenario there. But under Granado, I mean, like you said, you know, he said that he's trying to play fast-paced hockey, entertaining hockey, trying to excite the fans, bring some bring some level of excitement out onto the ice. And he ha- it, it's happening. I mean, I the record isn't there completely, like you said, but they're playing a lot they're playing a lot better in my opinion even though their record doesn't show it under Kruger I I mean like what I had so such high hopes for the, for the team at, before the season started because we had Jack Eichel we had Taylor Hall we had Jeff Skinner we have Victor Olofsson okay we have so much talent on in terms of on both sides of the puck and offense and defense. I mean, I was very, I was skeptical about the goaltending situation. I still am skeptical about the goaltending situation, but they, they, they didn't start out bad, but then the COVID thing, the COVID situation happened where the league fucked up and then they just kind of like hit it. They just kind of fell flat on their face. The, the 12 game lo- the 12 game winless streak because you can't call it a losing streak in hockey because of how things are to uh, the listeners that don't really understand how winning how losing streaks and winless streaks happen but uh, that really kind of like pushed it over the edge for Kruger there because well the team just flat out sucked I mean he was playing uh, he was playing like boring ass hockey. I mean, the team was like I had an episode uh, way prior to this talking about how the team was just flat out boring, flat out awful, not enjoyable to watch. It, it the team was a disaster. They were being laughed at by everybody in in the league. 
anybody that covers sports was laughing at them. So I'm I was glad that they fired Kruger. Granado Don Granado comes from a very pro, a very well known hockey family. The Granado the name Granado is very well known in professional hockey. Uh, with it, with his sister Cami Granado being a a legend of women's hockey. Uh, her, his brother, uh, his brother-in-law is actually Ray Ferraro uh, of uh, TSN. I don't know if you knew that. So the name Granado is very synonymous with hockey. Uh, given uh, given his sister, his brother, um, uh, being uh, brother-in-law to Ray Ferraro there, but. Um, his style of hockey, I mean, like you said, it's it's there. It's entertaining. Uh, the players are believing in what he is, what he says, what he does. The careers of Casey Middlestat and Rasmus Dahlin have been rejuvenated for the most part under Don Granado. I understand it's such a small sample size, but seeing Dahlin play under Granado compared to Kruger, I'm just. Like this is how Darlene. Sh- this is like what Rasmus Darlene should be doing. Right. I, it should. I think it helps the young players though, because I don't know if a lot of people, young people, know this. I'm sure you do. But <clears throat> Granado was a head coach at the, the United States National Team Development Program, and he led his team to victories at the 2014 World Under 17 Hockey Challenge, and then again in 2015 with the U18 World Championships. So I mean he knows how to coach these young kids and it shows compared to what, like you just said, how Kruger had everyone playing, especially Darlene. And another actual big standout player since Granado came in is Casey Middlesat. Casey Middlesat has started to look like the kid we all thought we drafted when we saw him in the world juniors back in 2018. And when we saw him in Minnesota. Oh, yes. No, without a doubt. Like those two players right there come to mind as having their careers kind of like in this in this short sample be revitalized and rejuvenated. And the fans uh, and the fans are getting behind middle stat. The fans are believing in Darlene again. Sabres Twitter has been biting their tongues as much as they hate to do it when it comes to middle stat because they had so much hope in him when he was drafted. And then the faith was lost because... Well, he just was under underperforming a lot, and he couldn't perform in Rochester either in the AHL. So it was just painful to see like the lack of development that was happening on like with him. But Granado has seemed to be able to find like find the pinpoints of like what needed to be done to fix Middlestat's game and get him to where he needed to be. So it's just great to see that the work like that's how he's able to work with these young players and also just maneuver the lineup uh, maneuver the lineup having Reinhardt at center has been what has been wondrous for me as a fan I'm sure it's been I'm sure you like seeing that as a fan too a lot a, num, a number of oh that's where he belongs amount, yeah exactly a good amount of the fan base is praising him for that um but he's also been giving chances to other players like uh, like Artu Rootstolainen. Uh, he's been giving he's been giving chances to Matthias Samuelson as well. Uh, U, uh, UPL uh, finally going to get a start this weekend against the uh, going to get a start uh, later this week, potentially this weekend. He was called up from Rochester, so it just goes to show that there's a huge youth movement going on right now in Buffalo, and. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel like maybe 
that once the season is over, that Granado may actually be named head coach and they'll take the interim tag off of him. But this is only because of like the trade that they made uh, when they traded Taylor Hall. They traded for under when they traded Hall and Lazar. They traded for Anders Bjork, who was actually a Granado guy, and goes back to when Granado was head coach of the development team for the U the U.S. Uh, the U.S. men's development team. Yeah, I, I that trade. This has nothing to do with Granado, but I think we got absolutely robbed on that trade. Um, I really have no idea what our front office was doing there. I didn't like the trade at all, but ever since coming in, Andres Bjork has looked like an absolute stud. I mean, he in Boston, he was just kind of, I think he was the third liner, possibly a fourth liner there, just barely getting minutes and rarely seeing the ice if he played. Um, but he has looked really good to me, like you said. Um R2 Rustalainen has looked like a, I've loved him since the beginning of the season. Remember we did a podcast in the beginning of the Sabre season together. I said I would love to see him in the starting Start. lineup all the and, time. And he should have been, but he wasn't. And um, but like you said, like Cousins has – we all knew Cousins was going to be good. Um, he's had battled some injuries, but he's all right. But um, no, I, I like the – see how these young kids are playing under him because it's just a fast, exciting style of hockey that can actually win you hockey games. Um, because when you're losing and it's boring hockey, it sucks. At least now, and if we're losing, at least we're making it exciting. We're getting pucks on that, playing good defense. We're breaking out of the zone. Fine, we're moving the puck around. We're moving fast. We're throwing the body around. It's exciting hockey. Um, it's something we weren't offered at all this year, really. Um, like you said, right before COVID hit, like I thought the Sabres looked like a good team who could possibly make it to playoffs. And then the whole COVID situation happened when we played the Devils. And right at that point, we just kind of hit a wall in the season and they just never, ever seemed to recover from it. Um, I would love to see Jack Eichel. Unfortunately, he won't get to see it this season, but under like a Granado style of play, um, I'm not really too sure if they're going to actually, like you said, you would think they would pull the interim tag off at the end of the season. I just don't know if they're going to look around at other options and get the best coach available because there are some other coaches out there who are have bet, uh, coached in the NHL before and are looking for jobs. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, like we said, there's still a small sample size of what we're seeing, but it's a lot more exciting than what we saw the rest of the season. So I'm not going to complain about it at all. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining about it at all one bit either. I mean, I I mean, I understand completely, like you know, the state of the franchise right now. I mean, it's not it's not a great state. I mean, it hasn't been a great state for the decade that the Pagulas have owned the team. But that's another conversation for another day. I already had that podcast episode. Uh, I hope to never have an episode like that again. But um, uh, but I mean, going. On to Eichel and talking about pulling Granado, pulling the interim tag off of Granado, and then you know into the off season. I mean, I kind of want to play like devil's advocate here with that. I mean, if they don't, I mean, if they don't pull the interim tag off of Granado, it makes me wonder who they will try to bring in as head coach. Because let's be honest here, I under uh, the Pagulas, they're really not great when it comes to running the hockey team. We all know that they kind of got lucky when it comes to running the Bills with how Bean and McDermott kind of just like walked in and changed the culture. 
But with the Sabres, it's the exact opposite. We always have that conversation there. So that's why the uh, that's why they that's why they uh, brought in an assistant general manager to Kevin Adams finally uh, from the Penguins organization. Uh, so um, so uh, so Adams actually has somebody else to help him in terms of the day to day hockey operations, dealing with draft, dealing with the draft when that comes up, dealing with transactions in terms of free agency and trades as well. And then also so. So the off season is going to be very interesting for me with that. It's going to be very interesting to see if they keep Granado, don't bring, or if they bring in somebody else. Like I said, because there are some viable options out there as a head coach. Bruce Boudreau, Bruce Boudreau comes to my mind all the time. He he admitted a few times that he wants to coach the Buffalo Sabres. He only lives literally like right across the border, just outside of Fort Erie, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, he said that he would love to come coach the team. He's a very successful head coach, been around the league a long time. I mean, uh, he, his style of hockey is his style of hockey kind of matches like what we expect to see any, what we expect to see, you know, offensive pace uh, style, an offensive pace style of play. So, so that would be something that I would love to see, but again, it all comes down to whether or not ownership and the hockey operations see Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux as a viable option for head coach. Uh, Jared Gallant also comes to mind as a great option for a head coach. I know that um, uh, we've got the expansion Seattle Kraken coming into the league next season officially uh, with their first season. And I don't know if they have yet to name a head coach. I don't think they have from what I've seen. So obviously like the, the Kraken uh, being able to uh, come into the league with the expansion draft, uh, being able to just come into the league with that project, you know, could be a good, uh, it could be a good uh, brand, I guess, for either of those two options, those, co- those former head coaches as well. So we've got to compete with that there. So it's kind of choosing between a shit show dumpster fire in Buffalo or uh, or starting your own uh, or starting your new project in Seattle with what with the free reign almost uh, because you'll be the first head coach there. But then going on to Eichel, um, I mean, like you said, he's not going to play under Don Granado this season. Uh, he was declared out for the season uh, just a few couple weeks ago officially. Uh, it makes sense. The team's not going anywhere. Might as well just have him. Might as well just have him rest and recover from his injury that he had. Um, I'm going to. I am going to put the kibosh on anything that I saw a couple weeks ago about how he was in rehab. That is just class A straight up bullshit. Uh, if our captain is a cocaine addict, then there's a lot of problems there. Um, uh, but, uh, with, uh, with that being said about Michael, I mean, he, he's a wild card in this whole situation. When you really think about it, I mean, the team continues to suck. You have convinced this man for years that the team was on the up and up, that they were one player away, two players away, something like that, that they were so close to making the playoffs finally with him on the team. And it has just been bust after bust after bust on, since Eichel has been here in Buffalo. And I mean, eventually he's going to get, eventually he's going to want to find a way to get out and, and go somewhere else. 
and we all and the thing is though is like it's all the the talk is always that he'll try to find a way to get out of Buffalo and end up in Boston just like Taylor Hall did and that would be that would be awful to see as a Sabres fan but I really believe that with Jack Eichel's leadership and this youth movement that's going on here in Buffalo especially if they keep the especially if we keep Granado as head coach in for next season and maybe beyond eventually I feel like maybe, just maybe, depending on what acquisitions are done in the offseason via free agency or trading and then also developing players, maybe there, it just goes back to that hope of maybe we'll finally end the playoff drought. Yeah, so going back to Ike Rivers, yeah, we drafted him in 2015. Um, always the Pagoulas have told him that we're on the up and up. He said, we're going to be a playoff caliber team, yada, yada, yada. He's heard this feel before. And now we're six years down the road since him being drafted and nothing. We haven't come close to making playoffs with him yet. And for an athlete, I'm sure any athlete understands this. It's just losing that much just gets to you and you can't do it anymore. Um, I don't know if he's going to try to force his way out. Uh, maybe if he likes the way the team's looking right now under Granado, it'll make him safe for one more season. But if we don't put, if he stays for next season, if we don't put something together, he's on his way out the door. Um, I would say by the trade deadline, if we're not in playoff contention next season, um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll make it through the summer here. It's hard to say. I mean, the guy has been the rock of this team. He has been an all-star several times now. Um, last season, he really shined. This season, he played most of it injured. Um, and that was just a shit show, too, with how Kruger handled all that and kind of jumped beater on the bush saying he wasn't injured, and then Eichel comes out and says he is, all this and that. So, I mean, it's hard yeah. to say what, what's going to happen to him. Um, if we did trade Eichel, I would probably expect at least two first in that pick or, like, a first and another star. But I his future is definitely uncertain here in Buffalo. Um, needless to say – no one really knows besides him what's going to happen. I would assume and his agent. Exactly. But I think I think if he does request a trade, it's either to New York or the Rangers or Boston would be the two probably destinations he would land the land in. Just with the young talent both those teams have and what they're doing with their talent compared to what the Sabres are. Oh, yeah. I mean, under, that's completely understandable right there. I see exactly where you're coming from there. Nobody knows what Jack Eichel is thinking about right now. I mean, only he knows, like, what he wants to do. And obviously, he's just going to take – obviously, he's going to bide his time because that's the smartest thing to do right there. He's going to bide his time, evaluate all the options, see how the team – see how the Sabres are performing – up until the season ends uh, for them in a couple weeks. And then, obviously, like once the offseason hits, uh, he'll try to just evaluate all his options, see if it's best for him to stay in Buffalo one more season, if he wants to believe the spiel once again and get uh, pretty much blinded by that bullshit, um, uh, or if he wants to say, hey, guys, we fucking suck. We haven't done shit since I've been here. You've lied to me countless times about how we were one player away, two players away. This is the year, and here we are. Same fucking situation, same fucking scenario. So, 
it's just a matter like I mean I I mean like I would not blame him if he leaves I would be upset but then again it also depends on what we end up getting in return as well I, I mean for for like you said if we do trade Eichel it would have to be for a for you know top picks you know and a tops and a top player um if they if he goes to the Rangers, I would say a t- I would say two high, two top two high draft picks and Capo Capco and Capo Capco. Thank you, Nick Cap. If, if we're trading Eichel to New York, I would assume we're getting Capo Capco in return, or possibly uh, Lafreniere. But I mean, he's been a disappointment this season as well for uh, being well, as highly touted as he was. He's kind of underperformed. Yeah, I mean it all. I mean the COVID season. I'm calling the COVID season like really has not been great for him. Honestly, I mean he was. I mean, but the thing is though is like if you're tearing if you're tearing up like everything else prior to coming into the NHL, and everybody's pretty much claiming that you're gonna be like you know the next the, the next Gretzky. You know, you're gonna be the second coming to the great, the second coming to the great one, second coming to Crosby. If they're you're getting, if you're getting lauded like that, you should be able to just step into the league as a rookie and just, I wouldn't say mop the floor with the league as a rookie because, uh, you know, it's not like that for certain for a lot of players. But you should be able to come in and just perform night in and night out on a consistent basis. Like he was when he before he got drafted into the NHL. I don't think we'll get him, but Capo Caco definitely, along with two top draft picks. I mean, that would be a good return right there, honestly. But that's all. But going into that, I mean, like you know, that's that that's weeks down the road. Um, uh, I don't. I mean. I don't really want to look too too down the road into that. Still got oh, we still got a few games left in the season right now. I mean, uh, the future does the future could either look bright for the Sabers or look very bleak. And I hope that it looks bright. But then again, you know, being a delusional Sabers fan, I always hope I always have hope for the future with this team. But with the current ownership and with how hockey operations are run, that's where the bleakness comes in. I'm mm-hmm. sure you can attest to that there. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's down the road, so we don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, you never are going to – nothing huge. I mean, we're still at the end of the season, so clearly nothing's going to happen. We still have playoffs coming up. Thankfully, me and you still have the Blackhawks to root for. So we have a reason to watch hockey. I mean, I think we always have a reason to watch hockey. We're from Buffalo. We're a, exactly. ho- we're a hockey town. It would just be nice for us to have a good hockey team for once since – 2010 maybe the last time it was an actual good team made playoffs in 2012 but i mean 2011 it's been 10 years to actually as as we're recording this episode it's been 10 years to the day since the sabers last won their playoff game tyler ennis scored an over scored an overtime winner in game five uh to beat the flyers obviously we know what happened after that we ended up losing the series in seven games wasn't it 15 years ago today was uh pondville in overtime against ottawa Fifteen years ago today was uh no um uh Briere versus uh, Briere versus Philadelphia actually okay so actually but so um uh, actually uh ten years ago and fifteen years ago today both wins were against the Flyers hey I, as we <laughs> as we as we are recording this episode the Sabers have scored against the Bruins 
The youth movement is working wonders. I think you got the notification before I did. I didn't see anything. R2 roots the line in. All right, I'll take it. Oh, yeah, I just got it. There we go. R2 roots the line in. So as, we're, so as we're, as we are recording this episode for the listeners, the Sabres move, youth movement continues to impress uh, my eyes, uh, even though like the record doesn't show it. So they're continuing to play fast and exciting hockey and compete with the the better teams, not only in the, in the division, such as the Bruins and also being able to compete with the Penguins as well. Both of those teams being, uh, you know, heavy uh, playoff contenders, uh, the Penguins being a dark horse in the play- for the playoffs and the Bruins being a cup contender as usual. So that's why I have hope for the team in the future, uh, especially if Granado's the head coach. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, I, could, I would love to see Bruce Boudreaux or uh, Gerard, Gal- Gerard Gallant, but it all depends on like what hockey ops decides to do. If we keep Granado, I'll be okay with that because they're doing well under him. Yeah, he's probably one of the – I mean, the way he's looked from the team, probably one of the better options right now for a head coaching spot, especially since he knows the kids. Um, clearly, like, he shows what he can do with these young kids. Hopefully, that's a reason Jack Eichel would want to stay. He actually sees what these kids can do and how he can build on top of that with him already being probably a top five center and uh, top ten center in the NHL. I don't know if I can give him top five this year anymore, but uh, – no, not this season, but I mean, before this season, he could probably be not just outside the top five, probably like six. Oh, yeah. That was before That was before this season, but like now this season, I'd probably bump him down just to like right at nine or ten. Uh, but then again, anything. But then again, like I said, you know, that it's just it was just a bad year for him. But uh, going uh, going off of everything, like we like we both said. The future for the team could be very bright. The future for the team could be very bleak. It's going to be a very few inter- very few, very few months next down the road are going to be very interesting. Um, like you said, though, we've got the playoffs to worry about. We've got the playoffs to watch. Uh, maybe, maybe see like who can be potential trading options while watching the playoffs, and then also looking forward to the draft. And then uh, once the off season hits, see what the moves are made there. But uh, like we said, Sabres have a few games left to go before this uh, awful, awful season comes to an end. So um, that's one thing I'm looking for. If that's one thing I'm looking forward to, it's the end of the season. I mean, it, it, it couldn't come any sooner, honestly, even though, the, even though they have been playing better. Right. The only good thing to come out of this is that our, we're actually playing our young guys more. And um, so it's nice to see them get the opportunity to step in and show what they can do now. I mean, that we're at the point of the season now where it's just all kind of like, let's see what the young kids can do now because we know we're not doing anything else. I mean, we might get the first overall pick, but I mean, who really cares this season because you didn't really get to see any of the stars play because so many leagues, junior leagues have been canceled. So I don't know how the draft will look this year. If they'll even do one or how that'll work, but well, they will do one. It's just going to be very difficult to be able to, uh, you know, scout players and judge them because, like, 
the OHL, uh, the OHL season what never actually happened, never actually happened. Well, it happened, but it got canceled. They were trying to figure out how to do it. It got canceled. Um, uh, then you've got other players that w- were playing in various other leagues that never got to either play a season at all or never didn't get to play a full season because of what was going on. So the only players that you're actually taking a look at that are that are getting drafted uh, that are going to get drafted this season are players that uh, were, that were playing in college, if anything uh, play. And it all depends on, you know, how many games they played in the NCAA season, because obviously like with that being the case, like, you know, not all of the school, not all of the schools played a full season and could not full, not play, did not play a full season because of COVID issues. Then also, you know, don't forget uh, NCAA tournament, the Frozen Four tournament is much smaller than the uh, NCAA basketball tournament, so not many schools are going to be able to showcase their players in that. So yeah, uh, every every year in college hockey, though, we see the same same uh, sixteen teams in playoffs or the. Because that's where they all go. Yeah, there's very select few hockey schools that kids want to go to, so that's why they try to uh, play in the junior leagues. But with the junior leagues being suspended, uh, you know, partial partial seasons exactly. But off of that, uh, like off bouncing off of this topic now, going bouncing the the next topic. I just want to confirm what you said earlier in the podcast. Ukapekalukanen is getting the start tomorrow night against the Bruins. He is getting the start tomorrow night, Friday night. So as we're recording this podcast, he'll be starting Friday, April twenty third against the Boston Bruins, which is wonderful. I look for. I'm looking forward to him. Um, uh, I, you know, before he had the uh, double hip surgery, I thought that he would have been uh, our best chance at having a great goaltender since Ryan Miller. So hopefully everything. So hopefully he has a good. I'm hopefully his debut goes well for him. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I really have not paid attention to what has been going on in Rochester uh, this season, the developing the kids and also just in general with the AHL because, you know, um, they're only playing the same four teams and they're the same four teams uh, in this season, <laughs> which is kind of annoying. Yeah. So I'm not going to care to see them play the Syracuse Crunch uh, like three three nights in a row or whatever. But uh Good that you good that UPL is starting tomorrow night, Friday, April twenty third. Uh, and with that being said, we'll bounce into our next topic, which is just you know just going to talk about the MLS for a little bit. Uh, they just completed their first match week of the twenty sixth season of Major League Soccer, getting ready to go into uh, the second match week uh, tomorrow. The twenty tomorrow being Friday. Uh, and you know, just want to see like your take on the season, see, see your take on the first week of the mat- season, and also you know, just uh, some insight onto what to look forward to in your opinion on as the season progresses. Um, well, for me, it's always, I mean, the Seattle Sounders in the opener, they looked great to me. Um, don't know if you agree, disagree with that. No, they looked well. But, um, they looked really. They looked really well. I. They got yeah. chippy. I mean, yeah, they, they won a, four four nothing against Minnesota. So I mean, you can always expect Seattle to be good. I expect them to have another big season. I mean, LAFC, that money team, is always going to be good. Um, I really would like to see just because 
I love the city of Nashville, and I love the new team's logo. I would love to see uh, Nashville FC do something this season. That'll be interesting to see with them being uh, – or Nashville SC, um, with them being their first year in the uh, MLS. They uh, drew Cincinnati 2-2. Uh, two to two. But um, it should be a very interesting a start. To, it's a good start for the MLS. Um, it's nice to see the American teams getting to start playing again. Um, it's always a fun league to watch just because we're living in America, so we got soccer, so why not watch it? Oh, yeah, I mean, without a doubt there. I mean, going into the uh, 26th uh, season for Major League Soccer and last season being the 25th, it was kind of like a jubilee for the MLS, or it should have been a jubilee celebration for the for MLS and Major League Soccer across the country uh, because of how the league has just progressed over the years, starting out as a makeshift run-of-the-mill league after uh, the 1994 World Cup. So with that being the case, I feel like the 26th season is going to be a much grander celebration because not only are teams actually be like, you know, not only are teams going to be able to showcase their squads uh, and actually not – travel across the country uh, and, and play more than the same teams on their side of the coast. But so the return of fans to the stands, we get to see, you know, not full stadiums yet. Uh, I do think that will happen later on into the season as we get into the summer and then the summer becomes the fall. But overall, the, uh, ta- the talent level of the league has improved tenfold. I mean, I remember when, when I first started getting into soccer, I mean, like I wasn't watching MLS all that much. I was following made more, more or less the European leagues. Uh, and by that, I mean, it was just pretty much following the Premier League because we didn't have we don't have we didn't have as much access to the other European soccer leagues for viewership like we do now. So watching MLS and the Premier League were the only options, but when I first started getting into MLS, it was kind of branded as the retirement league. And this was even before, like, you know, uh, David Villa and Andrea Pirlo and Steven Gerrard and those guys were incoming into the league. I mean, Beckham, the, Beckham David came over. Yeah, Beckham. Beckham came over in 2007. Henri came over in 2010. They played a, a good amount of time here in Major League Soccer. Uh, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, Kobe Jones, Jermaine Jones, you know, player – uh, players of that, like, you know, p- well-known players in America and also in the, around the world, like they were taking their talents and playing in Major League Soccer. But the thing is, though, is like they were kind of past their prime, um, uh, whereas now you have young talent, not just like n- young talent around the league. It's just not on like the Galaxy or New, or New York Red Bulls or NYCFC. You have young talent coming to various teams across the league, like the Minnesotas and the Nashvilles and even – DC United and even the new expansion franchise Austin FC they have some pretty good young talent there too and also Inter Miami as well I mean they're a mixture of young and old um uh, so with that being the case they're going on a team to t- on a team comparison basis you had mentioned that LAFC is kind of like the money team I mean I'm going to disagree with you there and say that Inter Miami I would consider the money <laughs> team because uh, you had David Beckham like you know w- soccer legend well known around the world 
played for the Galaxy at, for a good amount of his career, was able to own, finally own and operate an MLS team, opera, come, brings it to Miami, and they make all these star-studded signings. And last season was kind of like a false start for them because of what ha- what went on with COVID. So now this season, everybody's talking about, oh, Inter-Miami should be one of the top teams in the league. And they had their opener against the LA Galaxy. And I, even though these teams are on different sides, different, different parts of the country, they're in different parts of the country, LA being in Los Angeles, obviously, the West Coast, and Miami, 3,000 miles away in Florida, pretty much. Um, they kind of, they kind of said, you know, Miami has the glitz and the glamour and LA is kind of like, you know, LA is pretty much like, you know, they're, they're the team to beat still, even though they haven't won MLS cup in a few years. And I kind of, and it, it kind of made me think about, you know, even though geographically they're nowhere near close to each other, man United and man city. Man United and LA Galaxy being comparable to Man United being like, you know, the top team in the league, the well-known team in the league, you know, most titles uh, in MLS. Uh, most, you know, they're very well-known with their fan base. You know, they have a rich history of good players to have come through the team. Uh, and then enter Miami being like Man City where, you know, they get them the, – they don't have they they've got they don't have as much money as Man City obviously, but they get they are able to buy the star power just because of their name, because of Beckham, because of the brand. They get the national exposure right away, and it, and they kind of create noise in the in the league. Right. So, I just love seeing David Beckham buy that team because it shows it's going to show that American like the MLS isn't as much of a joke as people thought people overseas like to think it is. Um, Like you said, back when this uh, league started back in 1994, it was kind of like whatever. And then, but now like, as we see this progress, progress, like you said, the 26th season, now we're actually seeing competitive soccer games. We're seeing good young talent come through the MLS and going, getting opportunities overseas that they wanted Um, players coming over here to play. Um, I mean, it's just a good look for the, it's really a good look for this, um, for this league, um, it's a good look for American soccer and all, considering we've always kind of been like a laughing stock of the world when it comes to soccer. But um, no, I like to see it. Um, definitely an interesting opening weekend. But I just love seeing American soccer get more exposure, especially now with this team that it could look like we're could put together for this upcoming uh, for the World Cup in next year. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, a number of these play, a number of the players have found their way like through uh, not just like for the United States men's national team as well, but other national teams. They have uh, other national teams. There are some players that have found their way through MLS at some point that still represents their national teams. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the U.S. men's national team has a an abundance of players that had. You know, they had players go through their academies or 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 whatnot or play at some point for these MLS teams before they found their way to Europe. But the main the big player that comes to my mind that played in MLS before they made a name before they became a namesake for themselves is Alfonso Davies, mm-hmm. uh, the left back for Bayern Munich. Uh, the Canadian the Canadian playing for Vancouver Whitecaps at uh, age made his debut with like what 15, 16 16 i think it was 
picks 15, 16, 15, 16, such a young age, making his debut in a professional sports league. And then buy, gets the attention of Bayern Munich and they buy and they buy him from the white caps. And now he's a stud. Oh yeah. He's a stud. I mean, he's, he, he was part of their, uh, quadruple winning uh, sex tuple actually winning season of 2020 where they won six trophies uh, he's a mainstay in the Canadian men's national team so it just goes to show that MLS like actually can find and produce talent where they can make a name for themselves not only in in, in their own league but they can also make a name for themselves like over in Europe as well um, but also it just goes to show that uh, MLS like actually it just goes to show that MLS like isn't as as much of a joke as a lot of people think it is but um uh, going off of that i mean like there's a lot of talent um there's a lot of talent in the league itself currently right now too i mean look at look at Atlanta United they've got Joseph Martinez you look at Minnesota United they've got a good young squad they've got a good mix of young and old there um, uh, Carlos Vela tearing up with LAFC. I mean, he's coming off an injury, uh, ravaged 2020 season there. Uh, Seattle comes to mind too. They've got uh, Nico, Nico Lodero and Raul Rui Diaz. I understand that they're uh, getting up in age because they've been there for a while, but they're still, they can still get the job done in Seattle. Um, you know, those, just a few names that come to mind too. Oh, Another player that came to my mind right now, talking of thinking about Miguel Am- Miguel Almiron with the Newcastle United. He played with Atlanta United for one season, and he tore up MLS one day, uh, won MLS Cup in twenty eight and uh, twenty eighteen. So Newcastle ended up see- seeing that he is a good player, and they and they bought him from Atlanta. Be- and now he, I mean, he isn't doing really well in Newcastle, but he's, his game has improved over the last few weeks, few months that he's been with that since he came into the Premier League. Uh, so that's always good to see, you know, players from MLS get performing well in the league, being able to take their services elsewhere, being able to make namesakes for themselves, whether they're American, whether they're Canadian, whether they're from Central, uh, Central America. You know, it's just wonderful to see. Um, uh, but like you said, you know, going into the teams now, uh, like I said, Seattle looked very well against Minnesota. Um, uh, and the thing is, though, is that the Loons, they're no pushover. I mean, that was the rematch of the Western Conference Finals last season. Minnesota looks like a team primed to make a run in, ML- in the MLS playoffs, uh, eventually, pote- eventually trying to make their first MLS Cup appearance. Um, Seattle, obviously a mainstay in the Western Conference. Uh, the Galaxy under new he- under head coach Greg Vanny, who previously coached Toronto FC, they they like they look good. I mean, they started off shaky against Inter Miami, but he made some tactical changes and they played really well in the second half. And they eventually came up came out on top winners three two. Uh, Inter Miami under Phil Neville. Uh, I mean, for those that don't know who Phil Neville is, he's uh, Legend of English English football, played for Manchester United and Everton, uh, coached the English women's national team to third place in the in the latest women's World Cup, if I'm correct. Yeah, third place. Yeah, so, third place for them. Yeah, so he's so he's making his way up to coaching ranks. Uh, obviously, this 
this is kind of like a you know this could be seen as a stepping stone for him or he could just become a mainstay head coach in major league soccer like very like various coaches of the past like uh bruce arena who's still coaching right now up in new england or even the late the late siggy schmid who uh was a gal coat who was a former coach of not only the los angeles galaxy but also the seattle sounders as well and even current head coach uh brian schmetzer who has made a, himself a Seattle legend by winning uh, two MLS cups uh, up there in the great Northwest. But, um, uh, you know, going into the Eastern conference too, I mean, Philadelphia, Columbus, they, they looked real, they looked really well for the most part. Uh, you know, I feel, I feel like those two teams will be mainstays in the Eastern conference for not only this season, but all the, but not only this season, but maybe years down the road, they'll most likely make run and try and make a run to the Eastern conference finals. Atlanta United looks to bounce back under Gabriel Hines. Uh, we'll see how that goes there, but uh, going off of that, I mean, I going off of that. I mean, like, I know it's too early to tell right now, but I mean, like prediction, like for MLS Cup, MLS Cup. Who do you think is going to win MLS Cup? Who do you think is going to like take the golden boot? Who do you think is going to win MVP? Um, so I think we can both agree on the golden boot. I, this has just got to be an easy one for both of us. I mean, it has got to be. Um, uh, You're thinking like what you're thinking, like Joseph Martinez or Carlos Vela, or you're thinking somebody else. My bad, I unplugged my mic somehow. <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking of Joseph Martinez. Um, I think that's the easy choice. Um, do you agree? Disagree? I mean, I mean, Joseph. Martinez. That's a safe bet. That's a safe bet. He's always Joseph a goal scorer. Oh yeah, Joseph Martinez. Even though he's coming off that torn ACL, uh, uh, he is a safe bet for Atlanta United and to win the Golden Boot there. But also, I feel I also feel like that uh, Carlos Vela, if he can uh, recreate his form from 2019, he could win the Golden Boot too. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Gonzalo Higuain, uh, you know, he's a proven he was, he's a proven goal scorer. He, mm-hmm. you know, he did at the European time. level. Yeah, he did at the European level time and time again uh, for Real Madrid, Napoli, uh, his time at Juventus as well. Uh, but also at the same time, like if we want to go into other players as well, possibly for the Golden Boot, Al, Alan Pulido from Sporting Kansas City, another good talent that I forgot to mention. He has a good chance to be an MVP contender and Golden Boot uh, contender as well. But uh, I'm going to go with Carlos Vela on this one. I mean, if he can stay healthy... I mean, ever since he came to LAFC, he's just been tearing up the league. 2020 was just a bad, bad outing for him. Uh, COVID protocols, uh, he didn't go to MLS's back. He stayed back in Mexico with his family because uh, she was she because they have a they have a young family there. Um, then he got injured once he came back uh, after MLS his back was done. But I think if he can get, recreate his form from 2019, he could definitely win the Golden Boot. And I think that he could win MVP as well because, you know, if you win the Golden Boot, it should be synonymous that you win the MVP, depending on how well you play overall. But um, uh, I'm, I, what would your take on MVP be? 
Um, MVP, I got to go Vea. I think he might recreate his form. And I, I think, because you asked me about who I think was going to be in the final, I think it's going to be LAFC going up against probably, I'm going to go with, I think, Toronto FC. Yeah, I mean, Toronto I like FC. Toronto FC a lot. They're a good team. They can get it done when it needs to be. So I'm hoping they can get back to their, recreate their form and get back into the MLS Cup. Yeah, I mean, Toronto FC, like, I feel like, you know, uh, they are a dark horse this season. I I love TFC, to be honest, you know, being the club, the MLS club that's technically close to home for both of us. But Greg Vanny left TFC to go to the Galaxy because he felt he had taken them as far as he could, which honestly he did. He took them the three MLS Cup final uh, appearances, winning one, losing the other two to the Seattle Sounders, sadly. But um, uh, I think that if TFC can recreate uh, like what they had over the past few years under Vanny, I feel like they could make the playoffs. And it all depends on how how well, you know, well, anything can really happen in the MLS Cup playoffs. Honestly, I've seen crazy things happen Mm -hmm. before. So uh, maybe TFC could make a a run to the final to uh, MLS Cup final. But I I am going to actually dis I'm going to disagree with you on the Eastern Conference team. I think that LAFC will come out of the West. This is the year that they should come out of the West, to be honest, because if they don't, I think Bob Bradley will finally get the boot mm-hmm. as head coach. But I think LAFC will end up taking on uh, I think Columbus will go back to MLS Cup final and uh, try to uh, repeat as champions, be the first team to try and repeat since the uh, LA Galaxy in uh, 20 and 2011-2012. Yes, I like those picks. I like this. I like that pick. It would nice to be see Columbus back there. I love them as a team, but I do need to apologize. Um, in the beginning of the show, I said this is Nashville SC's first season. It is their second. I, I was going to say, I completely forgot that they played last season and then they didn't play in the, because I couldn't remember them in the MLS uh, return to play cup or whatever it was called. Yeah. And I remember now it's because they had the, yeah, the MLS is backup. And I completely forgot they didn't play in it because of COVID. Yeah. They did they not had, play in it because of COVID them and FC Dallas did not. Mm-hmm. And then like, yeah, I mean, you kind of just forgot about them, but they did make the playoffs if I remember correctly. Um, uh, they did make the they did make the playoffs if I remember correctly last season. But yeah, I mean, with all the situations there, you kind of forget about them. So with Nashville and Inter Miami, it was kind of false starts for them. So mm-hmm. I guess it could be their true official first seasons, if you want to say that. But um, uh, going off of that, I mean, the MLS season, like it's certainly going to be one to watch, being a grand celebration if you want it to be, because the team, the talent is there. The teams are looking lively. Uh, you already had some great goals uh, that were scored not in week one. Uh, there was chippiness throughout uh, some various games as well. So you, it's practically midseason form, and we're already in week one. So I'm looking forward to seeing what week two and beyond has in store for us. And then also just because I enjoyed a game of soccer, I'm also just looking forward to see like a summer of soccer, not just with MLS, but also – with uh, the European mm-hmm. Championships and uh, Copa America as well. But uh, once those are over, it'd be nice to see how the MLS season finishes off uh, and, you know, just continued for, can continue to see growth and success in the league and hope uh, that it continues to strive in the way it has. 
Um, uh, the only thing I'll have to say is I wish that promotion and relegation would happen. But uh, an, a, the talk of the U.S. soccer structure can be a, a different conversation for a completely different day. Yeah, no, me and you both have our thoughts on that and how America can continue to grow this game, especially develop players, I think. That would go a long way, and just that could be a start of it. But there's several things that U.S. soccer could fix. But like you said, it's a topic for another day because that's that could be an hour-long conversation if we wanted it to be. I mean, yeah, that could be a future podcast topic there. But uh, going into the different structure, the different leagues of U.S. soccer. Actually, I want to bounce into our next topic here, sir, and that's talking about um, uh, the uh, NISA National Independent Soccer Association, which is one of the lower lower levels of U.S. soccer, and its newest team that's going to take effect that's going to take the field in 2022, and it is the Flower City Union right here in my hometown of Rochester, New York. I had sent you something a few a few days back you know they finally unveiled their crest they released some uh, they re- they released some initial merchandise for the team as well and honestly i just love it honestly i mean i love the i love the crest it speaks rochester to me and honestly like i you know I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna be completely honest with you, sir. I don't know how much you I don't know how much you know about Rochester, but the thing is though is that like the concept and references going with this crest are just simple, honest, and relevant. The lilac flower, which is which is the main focal point of the crest, it abounds in Rochester. Okay, that's why Rochester is called the Flower City. And also because, like, you can see lilacs in Highland Park, which was Monroe County's first park. You know, you're kind of going into the history of Rochester there just based off of one flower. So that's why the lilac is pretty much the main focal point. So it's also known that Rochester has its brutal winters. So there's little nubs that are behind the lilac. It kind of represents the coming of spring because that's when the lilac starts to bloom out and blossom. Hence why Rochester has its lilac festival in the month of May. Then you also see like a starburst at the center of the crest that represents a flash. And that's in homage to the Kodak company that was founded by George Eastman because that was founded here in Rochester it still exists. It's still headquartered in Rochester. And with the design of the lilac and the fl- and the blue and, you know, the little nubs and the flash, along with the, type, the typography and font of the logo, it just makes it look so damn good. And, you know, it make, it's managed to look both delicate and strong. But then, like, it just gives an excellent contrast to everything about, like, what the city represents. So the people behind this logo, the people behind this team, they did a wonderful job with that. And honestly, you know, going into talking about how we continue to try and grow soccer in this country of ours, it's nice to see that in my in my current in my hometown here now because i guess it's my hometown now since i live here you know them growing the game as they are it it brings tears to my eyes i just, i just wanted to bring that up 
Yeah, I mean, I I saw what you sent me the other day. I didn't realize they had released all merchandise. And I just went on. I was looking it up while you were talking. I mean, I like the logo. I mean, I love the lilac. I, this Something about this crest just kind of pops to me. Um, I'm not huge into Raj Hustle. Like you were like, I didn't know everything that Juice went into was all news to me because I didn't really know about that. But uh, one thing that stands out to me that I think me and you should definitely look into buying together is that Flower City Union, the pint glass. Oh, let me tell you, I already started buying merch, actually. I ended up <laughs> buying a T-shirt and a hoodie. I uh, Once the merchandise was announced, uh, was released last week, I already spent a good chunk of change there. But, yeah, those pint glasses look really good. And actually, another friend of mine uh, was uh, mentioning the pine glasses, too. So, uh, you know, uh, great minds think alike all in the same order here, which is nice. I mean, $25 for those two pine glasses are not a bad deal right there. And they look and they're and with how and the crest just looks really good on them. I can't wait to see what this jersey looks like, because those are very nice. I love the logo. Yeah, I know it's a nice crest. I mean, I I really love it, honestly. Um, the jer- they're sponsored by Puma, so we'll be get- so they will be Puma branded jerseys. So it all depends, like it all depends on like you know who designs the jersey and how they try to you know mi- match it with the the material that they get to make the jer- to make the jerseys. Obviously, so. It'll just be interesting to see like how they design the jersey, who's gonna be the shirt sponsor for the jersey, because you already know uh in soccer they have a shirt sponsor no matter what the company is. I'll probably it'll probably be a local company. They'll probably try to keep it eh, keep it within the city limits uh, as a sponsor, not try to go outside of the five eight five. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the jersey looks like before they take the pitch in twenty twenty two. I was hoping they would actually release a jersey now just to uh you know just to uh just to get people to buy them just to uh, get people more invested in the team to be honest before 2022 happens because here we are already in in late april going into may and the nisa uh season is going to be getting underway soon for 2021 if it hasn't already so I'm not surprised. I'm actually a little bit surprised that they're not kind of that they're not jumping the gun right now. I would have jumped the gun. I would have made a jersey. I would have released it. Said, "Here's our jersey. This is what it looks like. Here we go." But that's just me. But then again, I'm not in charge either. So, right. Um. No. Yeah. Like you said, though, being with that being your home team, the only good thing that FC Buffalo has brought to me personally is their beer. <laughs> they have uh, through Big Ditch, I believe it is. Or no, it might not be big dish, but they have a they have a team beer. It's actually pretty good. Oh, I oh for our city, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, it's called um, it's called uh, maybe it's big. Oh, it's I think it's a big ditch brewing company. Yeah, um, big it's, ditch. It's, it's big called ditch. yeah, it's called big ditch FC. Big ditch FC. Oh, I, it used to be called for our city. I know FC FC beer or something like that, for our city or something like that. But it's called. Okay, they changed the name of it then. Yeah, because I know exactly what you're talking about there. Then I actually bought an FC Buffalo jersey because uh, they before their see before their season actually got like postponed and canceled and everything happened. Uh, they were planning on having like you know a celebrate like a celebration and whatnot, but then they had an end of an quote unquote end of season sale. So I ended up buying a jersey for like thirty five bucks, and it's not it's not bad actually. I mean I don't mind it at all. Like um. Uh, Plus, I like FC Buffalo's. Uh, I like FC Buffalo's crest, and I like their logo, and I like their slogan for our city. But um, uh, 
They're not. I, I wouldn't say that they're like a top uh, top tier professional team. No, really. the NPSL. Yeah, the NPSL. That's the National Premier Soccer League, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of like a semi-pro development league with with, with like a bunch of co- with like a bunch of uh, former college students or current college students, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas the NISA is is like the lowest of lows for professional soccer here in the United States, which is still a professional league. But going off of like you know talking about the U.S. soccer structure, like you know we know how things could be different, but that's another topic for another day there. But um, uh, I mean, I just wanted to bring that up. You know, I I like uh, what I like what they're doing. Um, uh, what Mark Washoe and uh, and Todd Harrison and you know everybody associated with the Flower City Union are doing with this team. I also like, you know, that they're just growing the game in Rochester again and hopefully, you know, grow a strong fan base because from what I see on their social accounts, they also try to promote uh, the other teams in the NASA and that they also like uh, they all just bounce off of one each one another trying to grow the game on a uh, for a national basis, which is nice there. But, uh, you know, I, I that's all I wanted to bring up there. I mean. I just want to go into uh, some final thoughts, you know, just, uh, you know, doing a little MLB rundown here. Talk about how the Oakland A's have uh, an 11 game win streak uh, after beating the Minnesota Twins. Uh, And then, you know, I just want to talk about how the Yankees just fucking suck right now. They suck the life out of me, bro. Well, before before I let you go on your little rant about the Yankees, I will say I support two baseball teams, one in the AL, one in the NL. Um, my Mets are playing right now. We're playing Chicago, but we're seven. You're fucking Indians. They're losing right now, motherfucker. Yeah, I didn't want. Well, they're, they're, my Indians are surprising me this year. I honestly, after we traded Lindor away, I wasn't expecting much because we don't have as deep of a bullpen as we have seen in years past. Um, So I really was. I mean, we still have Shane Bieber and Logan Allen. But after that, you kind of got these new young guys coming up and uh, not really that deep in the infield or the outfield, really. Um, when we have Jake Bowers playing left field, but uh, not, not a, uh, wasn't expecting much from this team with them being eight and eight. Now I am shocked. I don't see them making the playoffs, um, but my Mets are playing decently right now. Like I said, we're seven and six right now. Playing the we're playing the Cubs currently right now. I think the game is still zero zero. Um, I have it turned off right now, but um, I yeah. it, it's still early in the season for baseball, so I wouldn't worry too much yet about them. But uh, your Yankees are a bit of a disappointment considering you guys are probably the best team on paper in the AL, if not the whole MLB. <laughs> Yeah, as we're recording this episode, like I said, the Yankees are currently beating the Indians right now, five to three. It's the top of the seventh, and they've got runners on, two, on second, on first and second right now, my friend. Um, uh, but no, I going into the season, I did a preview. Uh, I did a podcast episode uh, under the Jerry's World brand or brand of the podcast, uh, previewing the MLB season. I had the Yankees winning the division. In fact, I actually had the Yankees going all the way to the World Series, where they beat the Padres because 
on paper, you think that that would be a great matchup for the World Series. You think that the Yankees would kind of, you know, make their way through the American League with uh, improving the rotation on paper, having a great offense on paper and having a good and having a and having a capable defense on paper. But. The defense has sucked. They have they, the defense has sucked. It hasn't been there. It hasn't been there currently. While I'm watching the game against the Indians, uh, the offense just is god awful, atrocious. Uh, they the Yankees actually hold the uh, lowest batting average in the American League. Uh, the Indians surprisingly have the second lowest batting average in the American League. So for it to be a five three game right now, I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of surprised. But baseball is very unpredictable. But that that also just goes to show, like I said, baseball is unpredictable. So the Yankees being this bad is surprising to me because, you know, like you said, on paper, you think that they would actually be top of the division right now. And then also, you know, com- competing not only for one of the best records in the American League, but also for the, one of the best records in baseball. But it just isn't the case. Um, and it is very frustrating to see uh, the pitching after Garrett Cole kind of be subpar. The offense not really there. Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Hicks come to mind where they have just repeatedly failed to show up game after game. But I don't want to go too much into it because it's continue, it continually frustrates me. <laughs> and uh, later on down the road, probably before the All-Star break, we'll do a midseason review. So that will definitely happen. But uh, – I. I don't have any other thoughts there other than just saying that like we're surprised that we're beating your Indians right now. And I'm kind of laughing right now because I didn't think we'd actually win a game this series because that's how bad the Yankees are winning one game out of their last seven. But um, uh, it is what it is there right now. Baseball is very unpredictable. Um, uh, do you have any final thoughts before we go into, before we conclude today's episode, sir? Oh, no, I think I'm okay, but on an exciting note, uh, next Thursday, um, April 29th, the NFL draft starts. Here's an exciting little thing to look forward to in terms of the football season. So we have that going for us. Yes, that is true. Night one of the NFL draft, round one will happen Thursday. Rounds two and three will happen Friday, and then rounds four through seven will happen Saturday, May 1st. So... I mean, I don't think that we would be able to do a uh, draft uh, mock. I don't think we'd be able to do a pre-draft podcast episode given the time frame right now. But we could eventually do a post-draft analysis and do and do great and give grades out to the picks uh, and to the teams that made their picks in the draft, and also kind of say like what team, what this team should have done if they could have done anything better and whatnot. So that's an episode. I think we could do that with our next episode, with, with uh, an episode coming up since we have the NFL draft there. I like that idea. So I think that'll be another. Yeah, I think that'll be uh, uh, an episode. I think that'll be the main topic of uh, an episode in a couple weeks uh, once the uh, draft concludes. But uh, yeah, um, uh, oh, I just found out, and I I just found this out. Um, UFC two sixty one is uh, is happening this Saturday. I mean, I'm not Masvidal. Yeah, Usman Masvidal. I mean, I I'm not really. You know me. I'm not huge on the UFC, so I really don't follow it. But I saw that. Uh, you know, that should be a good card right there. That should be a good fight right there. It will really- be. And the exciting thing too is it's a full crowd. Yeah, full crowd in full crowd in Vegas. I will be watching it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be watching it too. Um, uh, I like Masvidal. I hope I think I hope he beats Usman. I'm not gonna make a prediction because every time I make a prediction, I'm wrong. When uh, when I came on your old podcast uh, with <laughs> you and Marty, uh, my predictions were not so great. Um, so I'm not going to do that uh, again. But uh, yeah, I just figured I found that out. Bring that up. UFC 261. Uh, watch it however you want. Um, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything else because I don't know who's <laughs> actually listening. But um, uh, other than that, I've got no final thoughts other than other than what I just said there. That with that being said, that concludes another episode of the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. You can listen to the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lonely Hearts Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. You can also follow uh, the co-hosts, each co-host on Instagram as well, at Jacob.Socha or at J underscore Michaelson97. But with that being said, until the next episode, everybody stay safe and just keep on keeping on. Stay safe and go miles of all. <laughs> exactly.